Hey, this is Tom Canton from Football.London and the Guna Talk, and you are listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemo's Bruce, and I'm joined by Justin Williams. Where in Canada is Justin Williams right now? Today, Justin Williams is in Ontario, but he is recovering from whatever the heck I got. I think I have a head cold. My Lord, my voice sounds like a baritone drum right now. Shout out to the kids of Ontario for sharing the love and sharing the respective illnesses flying around. (laughs) Justin is clearly in the hurt locker right now, but that is what it is. Also joining us is the third member of the triumvirate, Mr. Corbett Durand, also known as Kobe. Kobe, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm five days into my head cold, so I'm kind of on the back end of it. Justin's on the front side of things, but we'll get through it. Squad goals. Indeed. And they say that good things happen in threes, and um, you two have a cold, so I can only assume that your dog Noble has a cold as well, right? (laughs) Noble's fine. Noble's fine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maybe our guest has a cold. I certainly hope not. I wouldn't wouldn't wish on him. He is joining us from Washington, D.C. He's the managing editor at Pro Soccer Wire. You would have seen his work in goal as well. And he's going to talk to us about a lot of what's happening in North America with the round ball. It is the one and only Seth Vertolny. Seth, how are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. I um, I did have uh, the norovirus over the weekend, so um, I'm, I'm right there with you in the, the illness crew. Um, <laughs> feeling feeling a little better now, but um, was the probably one of the worst eight to 12 hours of my life. So <laughs> mm. so on a scale of one to the Canada Soccer Federation, how bad did you feel when you first caught it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, when I, uh, when I was in the depths of it, I, I, I feel like I probably wasn't feeling too different from uh, all of the, the Canada soccer execs watching the, uh, the U.S. women in Canada, women gather around at, at midfield and, show them all up in the first game of She Believes Cup. Indeed. But hey, those executives look good in their custom suits. Nevertheless, the She Believes Cup did wrap up this week. The U.S. won their fourth uh, tournament. What did you see going on uh, across those three uh, stages of matches? Yeah, you know, the the U.S., um, it kind of depends how you look at it. You know, on one hand, uh, they played three quality teams they won all three games uh they won the tournament again for the fourth straight time as you mentioned and you know they look again like one of the best teams if not the best team in the world um they have a a player in mallory swanson who is playing at an exceptionally high level she's a difference maker and she has been every game she's played for the u.s uh this year on the other hand, um, you know they they struggled at times throughout all of these games. Um, they weren't 
dominating performances. Um, there were times where they they showed some some weaknesses that that teams uh, might be able to exploit at the World Cup this summer, and so you know it was kind of a, a typical U.S. performance where they they didn't necessarily dominate, but in the end they they ended up winning. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes that's how it goes in the beautiful game. It doesn't matter how you win, just that you do. What was your take on Canada on the field, despite everything happening around the team? Yeah, you know, I think that that Canada they're they're in such a, a tough spot. It's it's difficult to evaluate um, exactly how they played on the field. I think they would be the first to admit, and they did admit that in the U.S. game they they came out a little flat, and it cost them. You know, I think they they definitely showed in the other two games some some better stretches of play. But again, you know, it's it's a situation where it's it's really difficult for the to to evaluate. You know, just how they're gonna just how they played on the field. But um, clearly, the Brazil game was was the highlight of of the three. Um, they they managed to control a lot of that game, and and they did a good job at preventing Brazil from looking too dangerous on the counter and. You know, I think that for Canada, they, they just need to f- figure this situation out with their, their federation and hopefully they can go into these April games and, and play them because it's very important for any team getting into a World Cup to play all of their preparation matches and there aren't too many left before the World Cup. And so hopefully by, by the time April comes around, um, they have something sorted out and certainly, you know, sitting out those games and and being on strike would be a worst case scenario for everybody involved. Absolutely. It's uh, very um, unbecoming for the Olympic gold medalists. Hey, so first off, I'm sorry to hear about your, uh, your vid experience. I do apologize for that. Not like I did anything, but I feel like it's customary as a Canadian to apologize. Number one. Number two, what is your range of sport that you can talk in terms of hockey? Hockey. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I I did grow up in Minnesota, which is called the state of hockey. Um, so it's kind of everywhere there. Um, I come I come from a hotbed. I I have to say I um I didn't follow hockey super closely um, most of the time that I lived there. Um, I actually was uh, when I was in college. I went to the University of Minnesota and I. I followed college hockey uh, quite a bit when I was there because um, the the Golden Gopher program was pretty awesome. Um, after that, though, I I would say my my hockey knowledge has has dropped off a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I have a little bit of a background being from Minnesota. Okay, because I was going to say because um, you're currently in DC right now, aren't you? Yes. Oh yeah, were you there when Ovechkin won the cup? Um. Yes, I was. That was like what six years ago or something like that something like maybe? that yeah i was just gonna yeah. ask how that experience was given the fact that washington finally did it when they had the player that was supposed to lead him to the cup like 12 years earlier yeah um i mean i think that was like the first uh in a run of of championships for for dc you know it had been a really long time since any professional sports team here won anything and so it was just a huge celebration citywide, like whether you really were a hockey fan or not. Um, and then following that, there were a couple more championships The Mystics won um, the WNBA and then the Nationals um, won uh, the World Series um, 2019. And so, 
now we have a healthy amount of championships, but that, that the Caps win was uh, something that, that this region was was really clamoring for. And, and, and when they did, it was a, a huge party here. Yeah, I saw Vetchkin kind of literally physically sleeping with the uh, the trophy. I was like, that's interesting. That is an interesting thing. I mean, Stanley Cup's the best trophy, so I don't Oh, 100%. People have done ungodly things to that trophy. Like that oh, yeah. that is where the next pandemic lies is in that chalice <laughs> there. Absolutely gross. Like what uh so my buddy Robbie Fabri, he won it with St. Louis. And I texted him. I was like, yo, what's it like to hold the Stanley Cup? And he goes, I don't know, man. I use gloves. Like, I think it's nasty. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I was looking over some of the articles you read, uh, that you wrote. And back on t- August 17th, 2022, you wrote, TFC sure gave their Italian stars a lot of money to miss the playoffs. Now, quick thing about that. Do you feel like that's true or the fact they just kind of joined a little late? Because let's face it, like, Insigne was injured before even getting here yeah so um <laughs> i think that when the expensive italian additions came on clearly tfc was in a big hole um there's no doubt about it i, I however they they came with enough time left in the season where they could have turned it around you know we're talking about a league in which half of the teams made the playoffs last year now more than half will make it this year so there, there was the possibility that um, Toronto could have gone on a run and they could have made the postseason. Um, you know, the first couple games with um, Insigne and Bernadeschi, they looked like a completely revitalized team, and you were like, okay, like they're they're ready to go on a run now. Like this is this is a team that's poised to kind of make some noise in the second half of the season, but. It didn't really happen. It wasn't entirely the Italians' fault. Um, you know, defensively they had some issues, but uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly with a first, with a, with a with a full season, you, you would have to imagine that that this is going to be a postseason team this year. I, I hope so. As a TFC fan, I really want us to uh, at least win the Canadian Cup again. Like we we didn't even get that last year. That was absolutely terrible. But. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, do you feel like there's going to be any big signings this year as well? Or do you think they're kind of kind of capped out? Well, I know they're pretty much capped out for their international, but do you feel like there'll be some internal kind of shuffling happening? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they, they made a couple of big signings during the offseason, um, which hopefully will help the defensive issues that I mentioned. Um, Matt Hedges, Sean yeah. Johnson, you know, both of them are, are veterans, but uh, still playing at a really high level, um, especially Sean Johnson. You know, he he seems to kind of get better and better as as he gets older, and he's still at a good age for a goalkeeper. Matt Hedges too. Um, so you know, I, I don't know about more signings. Uh, they they made a whole lot of those over the past year, but certainly they they have the pieces in place um, to be a playoff team. I think now it's just a matter of, of staying healthy. They do rely on a lot of veterans too, and so. Um, you know, you could easily see an injury or two um, really kind of affecting them in a, in a in a severe way this year. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a fan of Bono with his lack of playing last year, and I I was I was so annoyed too when he made the uh, the U.S. national team roster. I was like, this guy isn't even that good. Like his defense that is what won him the championship in 2017, not Bono, but whatever it is, what it is. Because you brought it up. So who's going to start in that for DC United? Yeah, we got we have Bono here now. I believe it's going to be Tyler Miller, but 
you know, that position was such a disaster for DC United last year. You know, everybody that they that they played seemed to do worse than the previous person. And and so they really needed to show up the position. And it's not entirely clear that they have done so. I mean, certainly can't get much worse than it did last year. You know, all respect to Bill Hamid. He's he had an incredible career here, but you know, last year was not his finest season. And he ended up getting hurt and missing a lot of the season anyway. But, you know, now they have Bono and Tyler Miller, both guys that have kind of bounced back and forth between starters and backups during their career. And so you would hope that one of them can can put together, you know, a starting caliber type season. But that is definitely a, a position of concern for, for DC United this year. And is the new acquisition, Klitsch, is he supposed to run the offense? Yeah, I mean, I think that that Taxi Funtas um, runs the offense. Um, he's he's kind of the focal point, and you know, it was, it was crazy like how fast after he arrived last year, it became apparent that he was their best player. It was like, oh wow, this guy this guy's like better than everybody else. Like it was it was kind of instant. And so you know, with the whole season of him, hopefully, you know, they can be a little bit better than they were last year. Um, you know, again, they were the worst team in the league last year, so it's not too hard to imagine them being better, but Klitsch could, should, should help too. I think he's more of a box-to-box guy, but someone with that much Premier League experience uh, at a decent age, still 32, um, hopefully he can help. But yeah, I mean, this is still a team with a, a ton of question marks and looking at, at looking at this lineup on paper, looking at this roster on paper, you know, it doesn't look like a team that's going to, be contending for the playoffs uh, again. Now, when you look at a couple of top teams from last season, who would you say made the better offseason moves, LAFC or Philly? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the moves that that they managed to make were kind of just not losing anyone. Um, they weren't super aggressive um, in the market. You know, I would say of the signings, you know, LAFC getting Aaron Long in, to the back line was was clearly uh, a big move for them, especially because they lost a couple of defenders. With with Philly, you know they they bring back pretty much the entire team from last year. Um, they they did bring in Joaquin Torres, who I think is going to be a an important player for them off the bench. Um, but yeah, I mean like both of these teams are are, are counting on kind of continuity taking them back to the the top of the standings um you know with with LAFC um i think the concern is is depth you know they lost some some pieces um certainly losing chicho arango is a is a big blow um for how productive he was and they haven't quite replaced him you know there were some rumors that they were looking to sign Aubameyang, but uh that hasn't happened yet not sure if it will but yeah and then both of these teams are going to have to to navigate um the CONCACAF Champions League um at the beginning of the season and we've seen time and time again it's it's really hard for MLS teams to to be in CONCACAF Champions League and go on a run and not have their league form suffer as well. Mm-hmm. So we saw that last season with the uh, Seattle Sounders. Yeah. They suffered as a result of that. Should we expect a bounce back season from them or no? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, um, just like with LAFC and Philly having to navigate both of those, Sounders don't, you know, so that right there should should help their their place in the MLS standings. Um, but yeah, I, I think that having 
Joel Paulo back is huge for them. You know, he, he got hurt early in the season. He's kind of their defensive midfield anchor. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's a really tough injury for, for a team like Seattle to overcome. And they, they struggled to be fair. Like once he, once he was out, um, it's, 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 it's hard to replace someone like that. So having him healthy is huge. Having Raul Rui Diaz healthy again, also huge. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's looking again, like, uh, you know, the Sounders should be up near the, the top of the Western conference standings. Okay. So Seth, let me get this straight. So Seattle, despite winning the CONCACAF Champions League, I know they didn't qualify through the domestic route, but they don't get to qualify again as previous winners. Is that correct for this year's edition? Yeah. That's not like in the the UEFA Champions League where if you win, you're automatically in the next year. So you got to qualify every year. Ah, you got to prove yourself every year. Fair enough. Speaking of which, um, you're in D.C. The manager of D.C. United is Wayne Rooney. It seems that whenever there's a high-profile dismissal in the Premier League or even the championship, his name is often thrown up as a potential replacement. Is he going to finish the season in D.C., do you think, or do you th- could we see him move on in the summer to a club in England? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, don't, I don't think anybody really expects him to be here long term. I think it's kind of similar to when he was a player here, you know, he ended up only staying for a year and a half. And I think maybe a year and a half with him as the coach here would be considered a a long time. I mean, the thing for me though, is he did a pretty good job at at, at Derby County. Um, You know, they, they had a really challenging situation there with being docked. I don't even remember. I think it was like 20 points or something, 19 points. And so, you know, he did a pretty good job there. I'm not sure if his resume, just based on what he's done as a coach, is someone that you would say, okay, like this guy deserves a Premier League job right now. Now, you know, we've seen that there's definitely a preference given to big names, um, to guys that had really good playing careers, you know, especially in England. We've seen Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard get get jobs. Um without necessarily having long coaching resumes. Um, so with that in mind, I think Rooney definitely is in the mix for, for some jobs. But, you know, let's let's keep in mind, he came to D.C. in the middle of a horrific season and, and didn't really get them playing any better. So I think there's definitely some some pressure on him to, to prove that that he can – get the job done as a coach over a full season here. I mean, I don't know, you know, if we get to the summer and if DC United is in last place, like, are there going to be Premier League teams calling after him? I'm, I'm not sure. So we'll have to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And speaking of openings at management level, who's going to manage the Stars and the Stripes, the men's team? Uh, do we have any word on the U.S. men's national team who's going to take over there? Oh man, I mean, your your guess is as good as mine, guys. Um, you know, I think that there is such a long road ahead in terms of hiring a manager that it's it's hard to even really guess. I mean, the first thing that US soccer needs to do or they have said that they're going to do is hire a sporting director because Ernie Stewart left that position recently and so they want to bring in a sporting director and then the sporting director would play a big role in hiring the next head coach. Cindy Parlo Cohn 
the president of U.S. soccer has said that there might not be a, a U.S. men's national team head coach in place until the end of the summer, if not later. So, you know, it's it's a situation where the the candidates now could be totally different by the time U.S. is U.S. soccer is ready to actually make a hire. And, and, and also it depends who they bring in as sporting director, what their vision is, who they have in mind. And so it's, it's really hard to kind of speculate on, on who's going to be the next coach, because you kind of have to fast forward and see who the sporting director is and see who's available closer to the summer. Um, And, you know, I think you can, you can definitely argue about whether it's the right move to, to wait so long. Um, If it, if it makes sense, you know, on one hand, they're not, having to qualify for the World Cup. On the other hand, you might be missing out on candidates who are available now. So, you know, that's going to be an interesting situation to monitor. Mm-hmm. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Collect and trade officially licensed digital player cards with other fans in our open marketplace. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. SoRare is a game that you can play this season, and the next, and the next, and the next. It's almost like a, a dynasty spin-on fantasy. It's available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the world game. So what are you waiting for? Get involved, get in the game, get some cards, and have some fun. Oh, did I tell you it's free, by the way? Yes. You just sign up, create an account, and then you can start playing. And if you want to purchase some limited, rare, or unique cards, you can do that too, but at a base level, this is really just a free, fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports, because process podcasters, we know our thing, but so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room. So hit the link in the show notes, and we'll see you on So Rare. Own your game. Would, would U.S. soccer be interested in the likes of Marcelo Bielsa, someone who would take a, a holistic approach to the way the game's being run at a technical level and as well as the, the 11 and, I guess, the development teams underneath? Yeah, you know, I think with, um, with Greg Berhalter, he was, he was somebody who was more, more of a coach and less of a manager. Um, you know, previously we had a... We had Jurgen Klinsmann, who was kind of a coach slash technical director and kind of oversaw all different aspects of the the men's national team program. Again, I think the answer to that depends on who the sporting director is that they bring in. I think the fact that there is a sporting director position now um, and there wasn't before indicates that they are looking for more of a coach and and less of a manager. So, you know, again, I, I think the, the the vision of the sporting director is going to be key in that, but. My my sense is a guy like Bielsa might not be a fit uh, because when it comes to the national team game, you know, you're just looking for somebody who can get the best out of the players that that that, that he has, and 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 that's kind of all you can really expect. Um, instead of like program wide overhauls, I feel like those kinds of things need to happen at um, more of like a an executive kind of boardroom level. Mm, fair. One thing that is certain is there's got to be a 30 for 30 in a few years' time on what happened in 2022. I think a working title could be Gio and Greg or 53 minutes, given that was the number of minutes that Gio Reyna played in Qatar. <laughs> but 
I need to know more about that drama between those two families, that's for sure. Well, I do love me some good drama, believe it or not. But speaking of which, for DC United during the uh, most recent MLS draft, which took place December 21st of this year, they got a second round pick very early on with Ben Stutz. I don't. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Stutz, whatever it was. Do you feel like this dude can help DC offensively? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that um, you know DC United this 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 roster is is not very deep, and it is reliant on some veterans like like Christian Benteke um, and some young players like a, a Ted Cudipietro. So there there are a lot of question marks. Another another offensive player that they relied on a little bit last year, Ravel Morrison, doesn't sound like he's coming back, and so certainly you know there's a um, there's every opportunity across this roster for for young and and unproven players to 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 make their mark on on this team. Well, I mean, I kind of hope he does play just because I'm I'm a huge fan of kind of that homegrown kind of talent and that almost like Cinderella story. In this case, MLS kind of being the crowning jewel. To kind of switch gears to a different kind of soccer organization at the moment, do you know about the CPL by chance? I imagine you would. I am aware of its existence. Um, I I wouldn't pretend to be very well versed in its teams and its players, um, but I know there is a thing called the Canadian Premier League. Okay. Now, I was going to say, with that, because a lot of MLS teams kind of have a firm handshake with CPL where it's like, hey, we're going to loan you our players, develop them for a bit. Like CPL knows they're a development league right now for the most part and like a pseudo other retirement league. Could you see... DC United kind of outsourcing certain individuals that way while they develop? Well, well, DC United has, you know, Loudoun United, which is their affiliate. So if you're asking if they're going to use CPL teams as an affiliate too, I would say probably not because that's kind of the pathway that they have um, is, is players that are not quite ready for the first team, but ready to be professionals. Um, they usually send them, to Loudoun United and some players kind of go back and forth between Loudoun and, and, and DC. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Is it, I think that might be maybe more for Canadian teams using them. I'm, I'm actually not totally familiar with, with how every team um, in Canada uses it versus how um, MLS teams use it or sorry, American MLS teams. Yeah. So the only reason I'm a little privy to this is because the university I attend actually hosts York United games. Mm-hmm. So there's like flyers and posters everywhere about all the players. And some of them like come from America and are affiliated with like, I think one guy is with the uh, Philadelphia Union, but he's on a loan deal. So I was just like, oh, okay, cool. And I, I remember like in the US championship, the uh, the USL, back when it was like NASL and all that fun stuff. I remember Loudon. They like they were arrived in like 2018, like this third year I started watching soccer or something like that. So they're not even old. Like they're like four years old. Yeah, I remember kind of being like, "Oh, cool. Will Rooney eventually go there? Like, kind of get his his reins in with Loudon?" But apparently not. Their DC's just kind of throwing him into the fire as it is right now. But personally, I kind of would like to see him down in Loudon a little bit. But uh, moving forward with my next kind of question for you: How closely related? Are the uh, Loudoun United FC and DC, are they kind of like, is there always a constant deal going through with both of them? Yeah, I mean, so up until this offseason, they were under the same ownership and actually Loudoun was, was recently sold and now they're, they're owned by a different 
owner. And so I'm guessing that the that's not going to affect the 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 partnership between the clubs too much um because because you know it's it's beneficial for both teams to to be able to send players back and forth but yeah you know Loudoun United competes in, in the USL and um you know they're they're a place that a lot of DC United players in the past few years ha- have been able to develop and and you know get get first team minutes um especially younger players um like I mentioned, uh, Ted DiPietro, uh, someone who's going to play big minutes for DC United this year, young player. He played for, for Loudon quite a bit. Uh, Moses Nyman, someone who came up through the DC United Academy, was sold on to Europe. Now he's with uh, Rail Salt Lake. You know, Loudon's been a, a good place um, for, for DC United's young players uh, to develop. And, you know, location-wise, it's only about a 30, 45 minute drive from, from Audi field. And so it's easy for players to kind of shuffle back and forth. And I think, you know, that's why the, the, the partnership works is proximity. And also because loud and, you know, they play in the USL championship. So they, they play at, uh, you know, the second highest level here in, um, in American soccer. And that's what we need to see a successful team. Uh, Seth, are you aware of the SoWare NFT platform? Um, I, no, I, I think my, my answer to this is kind of similar to my answer to hockey and to CPL. I'm aware of that it exists and not a whole lot more. So yes, uh, I've heard of it. That's pretty much all I can give you. Okay. A couple of questions regarding this preseason, last few warmup games. Uh, I heard that Chicharito got hurt in the final warmup game with LA Galaxy. Uh, yes. It sounds like he's probably not going to play Saturday, which is unfortunate because they have a big game at the Rose Bowl. Okay. Uh, Do you know who's starting as far as uh, CF Montreal goes in the uh, striker position? Uh, Who's Montreal starting? Yeah. At the top of my head, man, you guys are, you guys are giving me these, these pop quizzes. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you guys know? (laughs) If I knew, trust me, I'd let you know. Who's starting at striker for for CF Montreal? (laughs) And so let's say let's say you had a place a bet, and the bet was on which Canadian franchise, which Canadian club you thought would finish highest this season. Who would your money be on? Ooh, that's a that's a good question because I I, I feel like they're all kind of in a similar tier. Now I I I have to give Montreal the edge here even though you know we know that they lost a lot in terms of talent on the field as well yes. as their coach i'm very curious to see how the second iteration of hernan lozada mls head coach goes um as as you all know he was here in dc and um you know the results <laughs> on the field weren't weren't terrible but he clearly rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in, yeah. in terms of his style and so um, I'm I'm curious if he has toned down some of those rougher edges that, that that got him in trouble here. But you know Montreal still has a, a lot of strong pieces and a lot of solid players left. And and so just based on last season, I would I would give the edge to them with with Toronto close behind. Okay, and I think most people would agree that LAFC is the top team in LA. But what's the top team in New York? Oh, I, I I know that the, the the Red Bulls are are kind of a trendy pick to to have a big season. They they brought in a big expensive striker 
I know that the NYCFC lost uh, some pieces. Alexander Collins is a is a hard person to to, to replace the center back. But look, I, I I think with with the Red Bulls, I I just have to to see it to believe it. You know, the 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 striker Vanzier, I, I I think should be good on paper, but NYCFC have a, have a roster that that has been good um, in MLS, and you know even with some of the talent they lost, Maxi Morales left left too. You know, this is a team that has a lot of weapons and they, they seem to be able to just replace players easily and bring in young players and who just kind of hit the ground running. They still have Tadas Magno and um, I think that, that they're going to they're gonna have another pretty good season there. Okay, and before I pass you to me, I mean, championships are one thing, but every franchise is in it to make money as well. Which club do you think is winning financially? Uh, that's, that's gotta be LAFC. Um, you know, there's they uh, you know, I know that the, there are a lot of people who have a lot of issues with, uh, this particular list, but Forbes listed them as the first billion dollar franchise in MLS recently. Okay. You know, this is a team that, that entered the league for a franchise fee of a hundred some odd million dollars. Um, so if you go by that, um, you know, they've, they've, appreciated in value like eight or nine times over the last uh, eight or nine years. Um, so that's, that's something they have stadium of their own near downtown LA. Uh, they have big name players. They're the, the defending shield and cup champions. They, they have celebrities go to their games. I think they've kind of started to overshadow uh, the galaxy in, in that city. Um, so yeah, I think your dog agrees with me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> LA, LAFC, they're they're making they're 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 making some money. Okay, okay. Now, Seth, just quickly, do you double in fantasy at all? At fantasy MLS or any other thing related to the MLS? Not really. No, I do fantasy football, which I retired from, and then was dragged back in this year. It, it caused me a lot of a lot of stress over the years, so I had to stop. But this year was a little better. But no, I, I haven't done MLS. Uh, I haven't done MLS fantasy. Fair enough. You'll have to follow our content. Uh, Kobe and Justin have been very diligent when it comes to the MLS players this season. This year is also World Cup year, so we've got the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. What what are you seeing with that tournament as we're a few months away? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that the U.S. Women's National Team has to go in as the favorites. They've won the last two. They have, you know, with the exception of a little slip up in the slip up last fall, where they lost three games in a row for the first time in like thirty years. With the exception of that, I think they've they've shown over the last couple of years that they're they're still, you know, one of the strongest teams in the world. But you know what what we've seen is the European teams are getting stronger and stronger. I think right now England and Germany are, are right up there with the U.S. Um, in terms of talent, in terms of being well-coached. Um, and, and, and so, you know, even though I would say maybe the U.S. is a slight favorite, I, I think going into this World Cup, it's much more likely that somebody else wins. Um, you know, when you when you look at some of the, the other top teams, when, when, when you talk about England, when you talk about Germany, France, um, we just saw Japan have a decent She Believes Cup. Canada, if they can get things sorted out, um, they're the defending Olympic champions. So they won a, a big tournament most recently. Um, so there, there, there are a lot of strong teams out there, and, and you know, I think that it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting tournament. Also, you know, aside from the 
the top tier teams, you know, this is the first 32 team women's world cup and there's a lot more opportunities for teams and, and you, you hope that some of those lower end teams are, are ready for it. Um, and they can give a decent account of themselves and, and, and prove that, that it was a good idea to expand the tournament because I think that 32 teams is a, is a great number for this tournament. And you just want to, you just want to see the depth out there. So there's not, you know, too many teams that, that, that get to this tournament and, and end up taking you know, three heavy defeats. Yeah, that's the thing. And I'm sure the gap is going to close over time, but yeah, you don't want to see those, you know, fearful and uh, rough matches, those mismatches. It'd be cool to see Haiti there. I believe they qualified just this week. Now, close to home, there's a big tournament happening in three years' time. You may have heard of it. The Men's World Cup in the US, Canada, and Mexico. What are you seeing for that? As I know it's a little while away, but what are, you, what are your hopes and dreams for that tournament coming up? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know there's there's naturally going to be a lot of comparisons to the 1994 World Cup, which was kind of the event that kicked off soccer, the modern era of soccer in the United States. You know, MLS was launched off the back of it. I think that you can kind of point to that as the moment where everything began in terms of soccer becoming, you know, a, a big deal in the US or really hadn't before. Um, it's going to be different this time around because soccer is already there. Um, there's less room to grow, you know, whereas in 94, soccer had so much room to grow, you know, you, you're talking about it exploding in popularity. I, I don't see that happening this time around. Um, but what I do see is a real opportunity to grow the game on the margins. And I see a real opportunity for Mexico and Canada too, uh, particularly Canada, because I think Canada, and you guys know this better than me, you know, Canada is a place where soccer does have a lot of room to grow. And I, I, you know, thankfully, you guys now have a men's national team that's, that's worth paying attention to. Um, and hopefully in, in three and a half years, Canada can have a, a better showing than they did at this past world cup, but I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a great event. And, you know, again, I think much like the, the 32 team women's world cup, I think seeing that what happens with the 48 team men's world cup is going to be really interesting. And, and again, same deal, you know, hopefully there aren't teams there that don't belong. And also uh, hopefully they figure out a format where they can kind of keep the, the drama of, of the, the group stage, because there, it's it's a trickier one to figure out. You know, the the eight groups of four and top two teams advance. That's just the best format for a tournament, I think. And and figuring out how to do it with forty eight teams is a little trickier. So I'll I'll meet you along the way because for me it's not that hot. But I'm not in FIFA, so my voice won't get listened to. But so all you do is simple. You have sixteen teams. They do a play in, so it's a one and done. And then those 16 teams joined at 16 seeds in the 32-team 8x4 that you just mentioned that we know and love, that format that we've had since 1998. Uh, that is how you have a 48-team World Cup. But the powers that beat FIFA will do something totally different and we'll all hate it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get you out of here, we're just going to play a quick game of rapid fire. So I'm just going to say a name, a team, a word, and I just want the first thing that comes into your head. Don't think too much about it. We're not going to test you on it. We may judge you for it, but 
Are you ready? Let's let's do it. All right, Toronto FC. Insigne. LA Galaxy. Uh, they better turn it around, or their fans are gonna really revolt even more than they already are. Alexi Lalas. Good at what he does. All right. Um, Angel City FC. Uh, bring bring in bring in a, a much needed dose of Hollywood to to the NWSL. Vlatko Andinovsky. Vlad, you know who I'm talking, who I'm talking about. <laughs> He's under big pressure uh, to to deliver at the World Cup. CF Montreal. Lots of talent to replace, but still think they can do it. Christine Sinclair. The goat. All right, and one more before we get you out of here. DC United. Uh, can't get any worse. All right. The only way is up. Uh, <laughs> mate, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on. So where can we find you on social media, by the way? Um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter at uh, S for Telney. So it's my first initial and my last name. And then you can follow Pro Soccer Wire at Pro Soccer Wire. Fantastic. Good stuff. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.